Let's all stand. He is indeed glorious. Uh, Unto him the Bible said, be glory in the church. Let's worship him tonight. Amen. Let's open our hearts and be open to all the Lord has for us. Let's pray together. Father, you are glorious. Father, you're glorious in power. You're glorious in strength. You're glorious in holiness. Lord, you are glorious. So I pray tonight you'll take this service and draw us closer to you, to love you, and to stand in all of you greater than we ever have before. May we worship you tonight. May we love you tonight. May we listen to you tonight. May we serve you even in this service. So touch all that is done. We'll praise you and thank you for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing and worship. I will praise thee. ushers come forward to receive our offering and encourage you to give tonight. Let's again pray and ask the Lord to bless the offering. Then the choir will sing. Then our good to have the noblemen tonight. We'll turn them loose in a little while and let them sing to us. I know it would be a blessing to your heart. Father, we do again come to you because of our need for you, but also because of our love for you. Bless the offering now and all that is done in Jesus' name. Amen.
trouble or strife. We will live through the ages by that beautiful tree of life. With and glad tomorrow, with the saints I'll stand. I put on my crown and I walk around all over God's promised land. glad for those promises we sung tonight shout to the lord tonight amen are you washed in the blood of the lamb there we're going to be singing that in just a minute as that choir comes down you get out don't stand there get out find someone introduce yourself if you know them shake your hands tell them you love them are you washed in the blood
I'm glad I've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. It's good to have the nobleman with us tonight. It's been three or four years since they've been with us. Mike, of course, has been with them for 25, 30, 40, 35 years. But they picked up another one of our convicts around here, Brother Darren. So we're glad to have them tonight. You fellas, come and sing for us. Good to have Let's welcome to our services tonight. this kind of singing every Sunday? Man, I tell you what, I was about to come out of that chair down there. Woo! I, tell, I leaned over there and told, uh, told Chuck, I said, boy, if they don't light your fire, your wood's wet. Big time, boy. Hallelujah. All right, let's do that first one, guys. Life will be sweet Sunday. Pretty good right now, though, amen.
up a sweat up here tonight. Oh, I tell you. They've been sitting on that front row down here. I know. Yeah. You've been working hard That's tonight. Right. I tell you what, you can't take this guy anywhere. I want to tell you something. We went to a singing last night down in Somerville, Georgia, and we had Darren all dressed up real nice in a coat and tie. And boy, he looked good, didn't he, Dave? Yeah. It was unbelievable. He, he did. He cleaned up. You know, he does clean up pretty good. I thought he got married again. Though. I did, too. I, I thought it was something like that. And bless his heart, he just, he just, Man, he looked so good, but he was just sweating just oh, yeah. so much. 
Oh. The ring, I mean, the collar, the whole thing. He was just pouring down sweat. And so he, he would have wore that suit tonight, but it was so wet he had to take it to the dry cleaners and leave it <laughs> off there. I'm telling you. But So he's a lot more comfortable tonight, so we're glad he's here. And we got a young man all down here on the end singing that high tenor part. He's been with us for about a year out of Lyrely, Georgia. His name is Chuck Teague. Would you make him welcome tonight? Over here on, on the end down here singing that low down bass part. Uh, got us a new fella, new group, uh, new face in the group here. And uh, he from uh, Chattanooga Valley area. His name is Dave Dameron. Are you glad to see him tonight? Oh, and I tell you what, we picked up a beginner on the piano. Uh, he, uh, this guy just never ceases to amaze me what he can do on that thing. And I, I, just, I, just, I don't know if y'all know it or not, but y'all are blessed to have all these instrumentalists that you've got in this church tonight. Woo, man, but we are so glad to have him in the group. And he has been playing for the nobleman for about 35, 36 years. So he's not a spring chicken like he looks over here, okay? All righty. And, uh, oh, and we're glad to have Tim sitting in on the drums tonight. Boy, now, Tim, yes. Yes. We're, we're in the middle of a recording project, and we, we drug Tim away just to help do us some drums on the recording project, and they sound good, Tim, too. I'm going to tell you that He right owed now. me a favor. So oh, is that was. what it was? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he made the mistake of saying, anytime you need me, Darren, you just holler. So. <laughs> he did. He cashed it in, didn't he, Tim? Amen. All right, let's do one of my favorites Wait now, Mike. This is Mr. Mike Hartley from Ringgold, Georgia. Y'all give him a hand. Thank you. This talks about that first day in heaven and what it's going to be like. at the great pearly gate. St. Peter said, well, hello there. Where have you been? I've got your mansion ready, so come right in. And then he rang for an angel to act as a guide. He spread his wings a time or two and learned how to fly. Oh, it's a great, great morning, your first day in heaven when you stroll down the Golden Avenue. There are mansions left and right and you thrill to every side and the saints are always smiling saying, how do you do? Oh, it's a great, great morning. Your first day in heaven when you realize your worrying days are through. You'll be glad you were not idle. Took time to read the Bible. It's a great morning, great morning. What a happy day. a song now it's called just one more soul let's do that right now. so many people out there don't know this jesus that we're singing about tonight i believe god's just holding him back just a few more days a few more hours a few more months maybe the preachers are weary the singers are tired the church as we know it 
is losing its fire and some are discouraged from bearing the load but we must determine to keep pressing on cause it just one more soul were to walk down the aisle it would be worth every struggle it would be worth every mile a lifetime of labor is still a new song in your heart when you came to know him. I tell you what, sometimes we just have to reflect about when God saved you. It may have, some of us, it may have been many, many years ago. We may grow stagnant and stale, but boy, sometimes you just have to go back and think about what it was like when Christ changed your life. And he puts a new song in your heart. And you know what it says? You can't put uh, new wine in an old wineskin. It says, old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new when you accept him as your Lord and Savior. Let's do that old song. Mike talks about that new wine.
straight from heaven above. It won't make you lazy, won't make your mind crazy, or make you cry over some long gone lost love. You do what? The kind that makes you smile all the time. I heard about it just a little while ago. Ever since I did, I just can't let this happy feeling go. You knew why. The kind that makes you smile all the time. Part of my funny grin, I'm just making you wineskin holding you. one of Mike Turnmeyer's favorites now. It's called I'm Getting Ready. Are you ready tonight? Oh, 
wants we, to pack it up pack again. We're up one more time, if that's all right with y'all. of heaven and it's all because of his grace that we're here tonight celebrating as we get to do every Sunday and every Wednesday and every day of the year because we know that when old Gabriel steps out on that cloud and he blows that trumpet if you are called by his name you're going to be caught up forever and ever and ever to be with the Lord I don't know about you but man that gets me excited <laughs> oh but Dave brought a song to us this the short time that he's been with us and this is going to be our final song here, but it's just simply called, I'm Just a Sinner, Saved by Grace. Are you saved by His grace tonight?
enjoy that, give them a good hand again. That's good. <laughs> I enjoy good quartet singing and good southern gospel singing. That was a blessing. Darren, you didn't hurt them. You did good. I love Darren. We're proud of Darren, and we're proud of Mike, too. Let's give them a good hand. We appreciate them. <laughs> a blessing they are. I want you to take your Bible and be finding the book of 1 Timothy, or rather 2 Timothy chapter 1, and we're going to look at one verse of Scripture tonight and build our thoughts around it. But while you're finding your place there, must have my picture up there, yeah. That is actually a picture that I took on one of her Golden Agers trip. I sneaked up on Imogene Tig. That's Imogene Tig right there, Amen. <laughs> Amen, and I found that in one of my files. I thought I would put that on the screen tonight. Imogene, I'll have some copies run out. We'll put it in the bulletin for you. Amen? But while you're finding your place, uh, let me just uh, ask you and to think about something and help us and pray about different things and whatever. And, of course, some of you asked me about your sign-up sheets and uh, different things that you signed up where you want to serve and you're going to be hearing from us. We had our faith banquet on Friday night, and we're going to have right at 100 people in faith this spring semester. We're excited about that. Now, the prayer ministry, we want you to be a part of. The greeters ministry, very, very important part. We'll be having classes on that coming up in a few weeks. But uh, one of the things that we need all of you to be conscious of, and, and one of the things we need all of you to be sensitive about uh, around here, especially on Sunday morning, is our visitors. As you know, on Sunday morning, it is hard to find a seat around here. In fact, 
I watched this morning two families that come in trying to find a seat, and I saw them leave because they could not find a seat. So we're going to work. We're going to do something this week, and we're going to get some chairs ordered or something. We've got to do something until we get into our new building. But I want you to help me to really be sensitive to our visitors and watch for visitors. And when you see someone looking for something, take the initiative to help, for the find a seat. Take the initiative to help them to find a seat. And I know it is full and packed and cramped here on Sunday mornings and, and uh, crowds here on Sunday night and so forth. But we need you to help us in this. One of these days, it won't be long. Hopefully, God's will will be breaking ground in the fall and we'll be in our new building and about 8 to 12 months later. But until then, and especially when we start construction, and uh, we take, we're going to be losing this wing over here even in the construction. But uh, we're, uh, these are good problems. I'm not complaining about them. But we don't want to lose people. They've always said uh, parking is, is important to a growing church. Uh, having places to see people is important and so on like that. And we have a problem in both of them. We're working on the parking now, and we're going to be starting on that as soon as the civil engineer gets our drawings done for the parking. We'll be adding several more parking spaces. In fact, we'll be doubling all of our parking over the course of the next year. And uh, the new building will be able to have seating and whatever like that. But until then, it is growing and it is full. And it's one of the discomforts that you have in a growing church. But I would rather have some of the inconveniences and discomforts than to be dying, wouldn't you? And so we want you to watch for visitors and, and don't live in your own little world when you come to church on Sunday morning. You're not the only one. I know this, I know this is going to surprise some of you, but you're not the only person here on Sunday morning. Amen? I know that disappoints some of you, but uh, think about others, help others constantly. Be looking out for others and watching others. The Greater's Ministry is a big part, of, does a big part for this, but you cannot have every one of them somewhere every moment. So you've got to help us. So help us with our visitors on Sunday morning. Help them to find seats. And uh, if sometimes scoot over, I mean, even get up and... Give them your seat if that would be necessary. You say, well, I've been around here for 20 years, and I'm not going to move. With that attitude, you're happy to go somewhere else. Save man right there. But let's think about others. And I'm going to make sure this week we get some chairs and stuff ordered. When I saw the two families leave this morning because they could not find a seat, we'll get chairs ordered this week, and we're going to make some kind of different arrangements in here. What we're trying to do to the best of our ability is not to have to go to two services. That's what we want to avoid. We have such a wonderful spirit. We don't want to divide it. We don't want to end up with two separate services, two different churches and whatever. Not against it. And, but it may be somewhere down the road we'll have to do that until we get in the new building. But we're trying our best to avoid having to go to two services. And so if you can help us in all of these things, I would appreciate it so much. Good problems, good needs. Amen? I'm glad we got them. Just be conscious of them. I want you to stand as we honor the reading of His Word. How do you handle the things that handle you? I want us to talk tonight about the subject of fear. How do you handle fear in your life? It may be, as my title is, So You're Scared to Death. There's things in your life you are fearful of. I want you to notice what the Bible has to say about fear, and then we'll look at it, break the verse down tonight. Notice in or rather 2 Timothy Chapter 1 and verse 7. The Bible said, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Let me read it to you again. 
Notice carefully, listen carefully. Paul said to Timothy that God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but instead he has given us power, he's given us love, and he's given us a sound mind. Thank you. you may be seated. Let's pray. And then we're going to look at these verses tonight and think about how to handle fear in our life. Our Father, tonight in Jesus' name, it has already been a blessing to be in the house of the Lord. We thank you, Lord, for all the good music tonight that has warmed our hearts and blessed our hearts and stirred our hearts. Thank you, Lord, for using our folks and using our people in many ways. Thank you for Mike. Thank you for Darren. Thank you for the nobleman. And thank you for using them. And I pray, Lord, that you'll take us all and use us in many ways and in many different forms. But we thank you. Now, Father, we ask you now that you'll help us to grow. Help us, Lord, learn to, to learn tonight how to deal with fear in our life. It could be tonight that someone here has a fear of some matter or their life is haunted by fears. Lord, tonight speak to us through your word. Let us see from your word how to become a victor and not be a victim of our fears. So speak to us now and we'll praise you and we'll thank you for it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I read a story one time about this wealthy man that invited several friends to his house. He had a huge house, had hundreds of acres of land, big spread, very, very wealthy man, a billionaire. But he invited several of his friends to his house. Out back, he had this huge swimming pool. It was one of the biggest swimming pools that you'd ever see. What was so strange about the swimming pool is that it was filled with alligators. Well, his friends asked him, why is this beautiful pool, why do you have it filled with alligators? And this is what the wealthy man said. He explained it this way. He said, I value courage more than anything else. Courage is what made me a billionaire. He said, in fact, I think that courage is such a powerful virtue that if anybody is courageous enough to jump in that pool, swim through those alligators, and make it to the other side, I'll give them anything they want, anything. I'll give them my house. I'll give them my land. I'll even give them my money. Well, all of his friends laughed at the absurd challenge there and turned to follow the wealthy owner inside the house. And then all of a sudden, they heard this splash. And they turned around and they saw this guy swimming for his life across the pool, alligators swarming all around him. Well, after several death-defying seconds, the man made it out to the other, other end of the pool and he climbed out unharmed. Everybody was amazed, especially the wealthy owner. He walked up and put his arms around him and he said, Sir, you are indeed a man of courage. And I'm going to stick to my word. What do you want? I promise you can have anything you want. I'll, you just name it. I'll give it to you. What do you want? You want my house? You want my lands? You want my money? You name it, it's yours. I made a promise. I'll keep my promise. So here's this fellow standing there dripping wet, breathing heavily, and he looked at the owner and he said, I only want one thing. He said, what is it? Name it, I'll give it to you. He said, I want to know who pushed me in that pool. <laughs> Amen. Well, I want to say tonight that when we look into God's Word, we find that God greatly values courage and he greatly discourages fear. It was to a young man named Timothy, a young pastor, a young preacher that was somewhat intimidated by his youth, 
that Paul made the statement that God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Timothy, Paul says, there's no reason for you to be afraid. Timothy, there's no reason for you to be afraid. There is no reason for you to be ashamed. Timothy, there is no reason for fear. You have every reason to be bold in the faith. As Guy King said in his commentary on 2 Timothy 1.7, with such a God above him and before him and behind him and beneath him and beside him and within him, there was no need for him to be afraid. And I say amen. I want you to listen to the words of Dr. E. Stanley Jones. He wrote in one of his books, I am inwardly fashioned for faith, not for fear. He said, fear is, my native, is not my native land. Faith is. I am so made that worry and anxiety are sand in the machinery of life. Faith is the oil. I live better by faith and confidence than by fear, doubt, and anxiety. He said, we are inwardly constructed in nerve and tissue, brain, cell, and soul for faith and not for fear. And I agree with everything that Dr. Jones said. Yet, I am reminded that even though we are fashioned by God for faith and not for fear, there are many believers that are haunted by their fear or haunted by their fears. Clarence McCartney said, from the cradle to the grave, fear casts its baleful shadows. And he even went on to say and speak of fear as man's greatest adversary. Whether it's man's greatest adversary, I'm not sure, but I will say that fear is a great adversary of man. From the very beginning of time, fear has been man's adversary. In fact, one of the evidences of sin's presence in the world was fear. You remember in the very beginning when Adam and Eve sinned? And the Bible, and you're familiar with the story, when the, when the Bible said when they sinned that Adam and Eve hid themselves. And the Bible describes how the Lord appeared in the garden and he called out to Adam saying, Where art thou? And do you remember how Adam answered? He said, I heard thy voice in the garden and I was afraid. Fear was one of the first evidences of sin in this world. From the beginning of time to the present. Fear has cast its baleful shadows. Ann Landers reported that she receives more than 10,000 letters a week and that she receives more mail concerning fear than any other subject. It would seem that in many cases, instead of handling fear, fear is handling us. So the question tonight is, how do we handle fear? Well, I want us to look in, in the Word of God. In fact, I believe the Bible has the answer to every need in our life. You believe that? Say amen. I don't care what you're facing. I don't care what you're going through. I believe the Bible, the Word of God, has an answer to meet your need. So I want us to look in the Bible tonight at fear. And look what the Bible has to say about fear. And there are three things I want you to notice with me. The first one is this. I want you to notice the descriptions of fear that you find in the Bible. I want you to think about the descriptions of fear that you find in the Bible. Here in our text, Paul wrote to Timothy, and he addressed the subject of fear. And the particular word fear that Paul used there was some, that is one that speaks of someone being, being intimidated, of lacking courage or lacking confidence. Paul said to Timothy, you don't need to be intimidated. You don't need to be timid in your ministry and how you serve. He talked about fear, being afraid because he was intimidated. 
Well, I find that fear expresses itself in many ways. A common word for fear is phobos, from which we get our English word phobia. And you know what a phobia is? It's some kind of fear that we have. In fact, this week as I did some research on phobia, phobias, I was amazed at the number of phobias that had been cataloged. In fact, I read somewhere there are over 700, 700 different kinds of phobias. I thought about sharing all of them with you tonight, but just to name a few of the more unusual ones. For example, I read about acrophobia, which is the fear of itching. Apparently, itching seems to terrify some. Here's one that I found that was very strange, and I trust I pronounced this right, arachabutrophobia, something like that. But anyway, here's what it is. It is the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. How many of you have that fear tonight? I read about this phobia. It's called ballastophobia, the fear of bullets. Now, I confess to you that's one of my fears, Amen. Here was another one called genophobia, which is, now get this, which is the fear of knees. Now, I'll confess to you, I've seen a few knees that shocked me for a moment or two. Amen? Here's another one called ecclesiophobia, which is the fear of church. Apparently, a lot of people have that fear. Here's another one, homiliophobia, which is the fear of sermons. Now, I've preached a few that terrified a few people. I've preached a few that terrified myself. Here's another one called lachnophobia, which is the fear of vegetables. Here's a fear that I'm sure a few of you have around here. Pentrophobia, which is the fear of your mother-in-law. Here's another one. Phagophobia, which is the fear of being eaten. Eaten. Now, all of us Americans live with the constant fear somebody is going to eat us. But here's one more, and I could give you several more. But this is one... In fact, I'm afraid to even try to pronounce it. Talking about fears, I'm afraid to try to pronounce it, so I'm going to spell it for you. H-I-P-P-O-P-O-T-O-M-O-N-S-T-R-O-S-E-S-Q-U-I-P-P-E-D-A-L-I-O-P-H-O-B-I-A. It is the fear of long words. Can I get an amen right there? It is said of Julius Caesar, who without fear would lead thousands in the battle, but he was terribly afraid of thunder. When it vaguely looked like a storm was coming, Caesar would begin to shiver and shake. Louis Pasteur is reported to have such an irrational fear of dirt and infection that he refused to shake hands. Peter the Great was terrified to cross a bridge. Whenever he placed his foot on one, he would cry out in fear. You see, there are many kinds of fears. And fear manifests itself and expresses itself in many ways. Well, look in the Bible. Let me just point out to you three kinds of fears that are described in the Bible. The first one I want to call a holy fear. A holy fear. Jot these references down. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 13, the Bible said, Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God. The wise man Solomon said in Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Here is a fear that is encouraged. Here is a fear that is not condemned, but here is a fear that is commended. It is a fear that is even commanded. We are to fear the Lord. Solomon described this kind of fear as the start and source of real knowledge. He described this kind of fear as the start and source of real wisdom. It is the fear of the Lord. And when you look at the fear of the Lord in the Bible, you find that it's described in both a negative and in a positive sense. 
For example, in a negative sense, it is, it is very healthy to be afraid of God. There is a fear of God, a fear of what God can do. As the writer said, it is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. There should be a fear of God's wrath. There should be a fear of God's judgment. There should be a fear of God's anger. It's a negative fear, but a fear that draws us to the Lord. Men being afraid of going to hell are drawn to the Lord. A fear of the wrath of God brings us to the Lord. In a negative sense, it talks about fearing God. But on the other hand, this fear that is described, this holy fear, this fear of the Lord, has a positive sense. Not only will it draw us to the Lord, but it will keep us close to the Lord. It is not only the fear of what God can do to us, but there is the fear of what we can do to God. I think about a teenage girl that was out on a date one night or out with some friends one night, and all of her friends were drinking. And they were trying to get her to drink with them. She kept refusing. And finally one of them said, What's the matter? Why won't you take a drink? Are you afraid your parents will find out and they'll hurt you? And the teenage girl said, no, I'm afraid they'll find out and I'll hurt them. You see, this fear of the Lord that Solomon often spoke about is a filial fear. It's a fear that you would do something to grieve the heart of your heavenly Father. It is a fear that you would displease Him in some way. There is a fear of the Lord, a holy fear. We are to fear what He can do. We are to fear what we can do to Him. As Proverbs 8, 13 said, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. But not only a holy fear, but I want you to think with me about a healthy fear or healthy fears that the Bible describes. You see, when we think about the subject of fear, not all fears are condemned. There are some fears that are commended, like a holy fear is a fear that is commanded. But here we find in the Bible, there are fears that Jesus even encouraged us to have. For example, Matthew 10, verse 28, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus said there are certain things you ought to fear. Now, you listen to me tonight. There are certain fears that are healthy. And as one writer, I forgot who it was I read this week, he said, a man that does not fear is a foolish man. And what he's talking about is there are certain fears that we ought to have, certain fears that we ought to possess, certain fears we ought to develop. We as Americans over the past several months have learned the reasonableness of fearing terrorists, haven't we? As long as there's disease, we have something to fear. As long as there's drunk drivers, we have something to fear. As long as there's rattlesnakes and poison spiders, we have something to fear. As long as there are bombs and a score of other things that can hurt us, there are some things we ought to fear. These are healthy fears. For example, when our children were small, we taught our children not to run out into the road, didn't we? We taught our children not to play in the streets. We taught them not to get in the cabinet underneath the kitchen sink. We taught them that there were things that could burn. We taught them there were things that could cut. We taught them things that could, there were things that could bite and sting. Why? We were instilling into them fears that they ought to have about certain things. There are fears that are healthy. But I want you to look at the third one, and that is what I want to call hurtful fears. There's a holy fear with a fear of the Lord. There are healthy fears, fears that we ought to have. But the Bible also talks about fears that are condemned. It was this kind of fear that Paul was referring to when he talked to Timothy or spoke to Timothy about the spirit of fear. He's talking about that kind of fear that is enslaving. He's talking about that kind of fear that is destructive. 
Proverbs speaks of the fear of man bringeth a snare, Proverbs 29-25. 1 John 4-18 talks about fear having torment. Romans 8-15 speaks of the spirit again, a spirit of bondage again to fear. You see, there are certain fears in our life that victimize us. There are certain fears in our life that paralyze us. There are certain fears in our life that neutralize us. There are certain fears in our life that immobilize us. There are certain fears in our life that monopolize us. It is the kind of fears that handle us when we ought to be handling it. And sadly, many are defeated. Many are distracted. Many are destroyed emotionally, mentally, physically, and even spiritually because of some kind of fear. These are hurtful fears. But let me give you a second thing. And answer the phone. Let them know you're in church. Just leave it on and let them listen to the sermon. There. The second thing, not only the descriptions of fear in the Bible, but I want to give you some depictions of fear in the Bible. Paul, Paul spoke about the spirit of fear. He was describing the power and the presence of fear in our life. He's describing the power and the presence of fear in Timothy's life and what it could do to Timothy. Paul knew, Timothy, if you don't overcome your fear, it's going to victimize you. But Timothy, if you don't overcome your fear, it's going to paralyze you. He's a young man. He's a young preacher. He's a young pastor, intimidated, afraid, and even ashamed. And Paul said, Timothy, you don't have to be afraid. And the reason Paul said to Timothy, you don't have to be afraid, was because he knew what fear would do. What will fear do to us? Let me give you two examples in the Bible. For one thing, I think about how fear keeps us from stepping out for Christ. Fear will keep us from stepping out for Christ. You remember the parable in Matthew 25? Jesus gave a parable of a master who gave each of his servants talents. And the word talents talks about money, a measure of money. And he gave each one a certain amount of money according to their abilities. To one he gave five talents. To another he gave two talents. And to another he gave one talent. Luke describes how the master gave the money to his service for the purpose of investing that money and increasing that money. So we read in the Bible how all of these men, the one that had five talents, he went out and invested his money. The one that had two talents went out and invested his money. But the man that had one talent, he went out and buried his money. He hid his money. Luke 19, 15 said that when the master returned, he called his servants together that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. So they all come for the master. He looks at the man that, had five, that he gave five talents. He said, what did you do with the five talents I gave you? He said, Master, I doubled it. I have ten talents. He looked at the man that he gave two talents, and he said, what did you do with the two talents I gave you? And he said, Master, I doubled it. I have four talents. But then he looked at the man that had one talent, and he said to him, what did you do with the talent that I gave you? And again, what the man had done, he had hid the money. Instead of investing the money and increasing the money, he had hid the money. Here's the answer that he gave. Why did he hide it? Why did he hide his talent rather than invest his talent? The Bible said in Matthew 25, 24, and 25, Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed, and I was afraid." And went and hid thy talent in the earth, and lo, here, lo, thou, there thou hast that is done. Why did he not invest his money? He was afraid. 
He was afraid that he would lose the money. Instead of taking the risk of dumping the money or investing the money, he was afraid that he would lose it, so he hid it and did nothing with that which had been given to him. His master had given him something to do, but instead of doing with what the master had given him, he didn't do anything. And he did it, didn't do anything because he was afraid. Makes me think of the farmer that was asked one day by his neighbor, said, how's your cotton doing? He said, I didn't plant any. And the neighbor said, how come? He said, because I'm afraid of the bold weevil. He said, well, how's your corn coming along? He said, didn't plant any. How come? I'm afraid of the drought. He said, well, how's then your, how, then is, how is your potatoes coming along? He said, I didn't plant any. He said, how come? He said, I'm afraid of the potato bug. And the neighbor said, what did you plant? He said, I didn't plant anything. And the neighbor said, why didn't you plant anything? He said, I was playing it safe. Well, this man in Matthew 25 wasn't playing it safe. He was playing it scared. And he didn't do anything because he was afraid. He reminds us of those who let fear keep them from doing what God wants them to do. I have known more than one down through the years that hesitated to do the will of God because they feared what the will of God would require of them. They hesitated to do the will of God because they was afraid they couldn't do it. And they hesitated to do the will of God because they were afraid they could not make it. I've known young men that God put his hand on and called to preach and then said, I want you to go off to Bible school and learn and I want you to get yourself an education. But they were afraid to give up their job. They were afraid to leave their family. They were afraid to leave their home and they were afraid they would not be able to make it. And they backed down. And they're still sitting on a pew doing nothing and not being used of God tonight. Backed out because they were afraid of what the will of God will involve. I've known people that refuse the offer of salvation because they feared they could not live the Christian life. I've known people that would not follow the Lord in believer's baptism because they feared water. I know people that will not tithe because they're afraid they'll not have enough money to make ends meet. And I've known many that would not make Christ Lord of their life for fear of what the Lordship of Jesus Christ would demand of their lives. You know what fear does? It keeps people from stepping out for Christ. I want to say to you tonight, you never have to fear doing the will of God. You never have to fear yielding your life to Christ. You never have to fear following the Lord in believers' baptism. You never have to fear giving a tenth of your income to God. You never have to fear obeying God and making Jesus Christ Lord of your life. You never have to fear those things. But yet many, they will not step out for Christ because they are afraid. But I find another depiction of fear in the Bible. Not only of how it keeps a person from stepping out for Christ, but I also find a depiction of how it keeps someone from standing up for Christ. I think of Timothy. And it would appear that Timothy had basically two problems. He was afraid and he was ashamed. You look at the text there, verse 6, 7, 8 of our text here in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1. Paul speaks of his fear in verse 7 and he speaks of him being ashamed in verse 8. He said, be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Apparently because he was so young, he was fearful. He was intimidated. And apparently that he had a problem of being ashamed about matters or there was the danger that he would be ashamed. And so Paul writes to him to encourage him not to let his fear victimize him. And he says to him, Timothy, don't be afraid and don't be ashamed. Don't let these things paralyze you and don't let them keep you from standing up for Christ. Paul said, don't be ashamed of me, his prisoner. 
Don't be ashamed of what the will of God may involve. Many had left Paul in the leeches because they were afraid for their own life. But Paul said, don't be ashamed to stand up for Christ. You know what fear does to us? It immobilizes us. It has a way of giving a spiritual lockjaw. Sometimes because of our fear, we not only will not step out for Christ, but we will not stand up for Christ. Dr. Roland Q. Lavelle in his book Evangelism, Christ Imperative Commission, describes fear as the number one reason why Christians do not witness and do not share their faith with others. You see, what keeps most believers from not being a witness and not sharing their faith? It's not laziness. I don't believe that's the issue. It's not laziness. It's fearfulness. The fear of not knowing what to say. The fear of going to someone's house. The fear of knocking on someone's door. The fear of the reaction you're going to get. You know what keeps young people, what makes young people silent about their faith at school, high school, and college? It's the fear of being laughed at. It's the fear that somebody will make fun of them. It's the fear they'll be ostracized because of their faith and standing up for Jesus Christ. You know why many adults remain silent when opportunities arise to speak to others about their need of Christ? It is often the fear of one of not knowing what to say or the reaction or the response they'll get from the people that they speak to. Fear. It victimizes an individual. And the reason many people will not stand up is because they're afraid to stand up. I remember reading one time about the robber in the days of the Wild West, the professional thief by the name of Black Bart, wore a black hood. And just the mention of his name struck fear in the hearts of people. He terrorized the Wells Fargo stage line from New York to San Francisco, and between 1875 and 1883, he robbed 29 different stagecoaches. But here's what's so interesting about it. He robbed 29 stagecoaches without firing a single shot. And he robbed 29 stagecoaches, and no sheriff ever chased him. He robbed 29 stagecoaches, and a hostage was never taken. You want to know why? Because Black Bart used fear to terrorize his victims. The black hood over his face, his hood covering, where his sinister presence was enough and his name and reputation to overwhelm the toughest stage guard. When I think about another sinister presence, that has a tool called fear, and he uses it to keep many believers from stepping out and doing what God wants them to do, and he uses it to keep many believers from standing up and speaking out for Jesus Christ. It's a fear that victimizes us, and it paralyzes us, and it immobilizes us. It's a fear, a depiction of fear, keeping us from stepping out and standing up. I say all that to give the third and the final thing. Not only the descriptions of fear in the Bible, and the depictions of fear in the Bible, but third of all, the deterrence of fear that you find in the Bible. Look at our text tonight. Paul said to Timothy, you don't, you've not been given the spirit of fear. Timothy, you have no reason to be afraid. And he said, this is the reason. You don't have any reason to be afraid. God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. You see that statement there of power and of love and a sound mind? You know what Paul is telling Timothy? He said, you've got the resources to overcome fear in your life. Timothy, you're a young man. You're intimidated. But I want you to understand, son, God didn't give you the spirit of fear. He's given you the resources to overcome your intimidation. He's saying to Timothy, or to, to Timothy he said, God's not giving you fear, but he's given you what you need to be a victor and not a victim to fear. Clarence McCartney made this statement. Listen to it. 
regardless of what men's progression of faith may be, if they're under dominion of fear, they are practical atheists. They, what, he, what he meant by that statement is that fear, like I talked about, it'll keep us from stepping out for Christ. It'll keep us from standing up for Christ. We become practical atheists. But God doesn't want us to be practical atheists. We do not have to be a victim to fear. We've got the resources to overcome whatever fear you have in your life. Again, I don't care what the phobia is. I don't care what the fear is. God has given you three things that are resources to overcome fear. Now, jot these three things down. We're going to be going. The first thing I want you to see is the power to confront our fears. He tells Timothy that he has been given power. He has been given power to face his fears he has been given power to fight his fears. In fact, he's saying, Timothy, you've been given power to face and fight whatever you are confronted with in life. But in this specific case, it was a matter of fear. Now, I want you to understand something tonight. Your fears may be legitimate. And there may be things that you're afraid of. It may be a fear of doing the will of God. It may be a fear of talking to others about Christ. But I want you to understand something tonight. You have been given power. And you've been given power to confront your fears. As the Bible said in 1 John 4, 4, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Carl Wilson Baker said, courage is fear that said his prayers. Can I say that again? Courage is fear that said his prayers. You've got power. You realize that tonight? Do you realize that tonight? Say amen. God has given you Power. I don't care what you're confronted with in your life. God has given you power to face and to fight it. If it be fear, he's given you power to confront your fears. But second thing, he's given you love to calm your fears. Not only power to confront your fears, but love to calm your fears. He tells him that he's given him a love that will calm his fear. John said there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. Fear. Now, neither Paul or John was talking about our love for God. He's talking about God's love for us, that he loves us perfectly. And the realization that we're deeply and constantly and perfectly loved by God is an antidote for our fears. Now, listen to me. If God loves us in such a special way, and he does, then we're assured that he's not going to let anything happen in our life that's not according to his will. Is that not right? He's not going to allow anything to hurt us. Now, he may allow things to come in our life that do hurt. He doesn't stop trials from coming. He doesn't stop heartaches from coming. But the things he allows in our life are not to break us, but they are to build us. So he's not going to allow anything in our life that will harm us or break us. Why? Because he loves us. He loves us perfectly. So therefore, realize that I am loved by God. That God is in charge of my life. He is watching over my life from beginning to end. He is Lord of my life. He's going to take care of my life. Therefore, why should I fear? It is a love that calms our fears. But look at the third thing. He not only gave you power to confront your fears and love to calm your fears, but he gave you a sound mind to commit your fears. Now, I'm not so sure that all of us have a sound mind, but God has given us a sound mind. It's what the Bible said. What does it mean by a sound mind? The word sound is a word that speaks of discipline. And out of that discipline comes the ideal of discernment. That God has given us a discerning mind. 
a discerning mind that helps us to look at things and weigh them out properly and then come to the proper conclusions about them. He says, Timothy, you don't have to fear. One, you've been given power to confront your fears. Timothy, you don't have to fear. You've been given love to calm your fears. Now, Timothy, understanding you have power and you have love from God, then you ought to come to this conclusion that you can commit your fears to God. What do you do with your fears? Robert Louis Stevenson said, keep your fears to yourself. Share your courages with others. Well, I want to say to you tonight, don't keep your fears to yourself. Share your courage with others, yes, but don't keep your fears to yourself. Give them to God. Give your fears to God. Commit your fears to God. Since we have at our disposal God's power and we're the objects of His love and we've been given a sound mind, discerning what the proper step is to take, therefore we come to God and we say, God, this is my fear. It may be a little thing. It may be, Lord, I want to be baptized and obey you, but I am so afraid of someone putting my face underwater. That's, I mean, that's not a fear to laugh at. That's a legitimate fear that people have. But you ought to say, dear God, this is what you want me to do, to follow you in believer's baptism. Lord, I'm giving you my fears. You give me power to confront them. You give me love to calm them. So I commit my fears to you. Lord, I want to tithe, but I'm so afraid that if I start giving 10% of my income, if I were to give 10% of my income, it means I'm going to give $30 and $40 a week. And if I give $40 a week, I don't know how I'm going to make ends meet. Why don't you commit your fear to God? Why don't you start obeying God? That's the issue right there. That's the bottom line is obeying God. Amen? Amen. Whether we obey God or disobey God, that's the whole issue. And we ought to come and say, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to make it, but Lord, I'm going to commit my fear to you and do what you want me to do. That's what he's talking about. D.L. Moody's favorite verse was Isaiah 20, or Isaiah 12 too. He said, I will trust and not be afraid. D.L. Moody used to say, I can travel to heaven first class, or I can travel, travel to heaven second class. Second class is, what time I am afraid, I will trust. But first class is, I will trust and not be afraid. Now, let me ask you tonight, how are you going to heaven? You going second class? You don't have to go to second class. You got a first class ticket. You're getting a first class ticket. You don't have to travel second class. Travel first class. I hate flying. I've always hated flying. And I've always hated flying because I always sit back in the cheap seats. And it always, when I walk through first class, I just look at them sometimes. I've, I especially fly overseas. You've flown for eight hours and nine hours. And you get back on the flight, uh, plane, you got to make that flight back. You walk through first class. Here they got all this room, got their own personal TVs, and they're sitting there. It looks like they just run around their chair and play ball in first class. Say, I just want to reach over and just grab somebody and choke them and just say, I wish, and just, just say, I just want you to know that it ain't right for you to be rich. Say amen right there. <laughs> but you don't have to travel to heaven second class. You got a first class ticket. I will trust and not be afraid. Is there something you fear? then you've got the appropriate resources to overcome that fear. Is it a fear of doing the will of God in your life? Is it a fear of telling others about Christ? One of the things that so thrills me about faith is the people that come in on the very beginning terrified and so anxious and so scared about going out. I've taken teams out, and they didn't say so, but you could see them shaking, so terrified. When we went to the first home, 
But then watch them over the course of 16 weeks and then come back the next semester and teach others how to do. Overcoming their fears. Give God your fears. Someone said, a basketball in my hands is worth $20. But a basketball in Michael Jordan's hands is worth about $33 million. A baseball in my hands is worth about $5. But a baseball in Alex Rodriguez's hands is worth about $250 million. A tennis racket in my hands is worth about $95. But a tennis racket in Pete Sampras's hands is worth a Wimbledon championship. A golf club in my hands is absolutely worthless, more than you know. But a golf club in Tiger Woods' hands is priceless. A rod in my hands may keep me from stumbling, but a rod in Moses' hands will part the waters. A sling in my hand is but a child's toy, but a sling in David's hands will fell a mighty warrior. Two fish and five loaves in my hand is a couple of sandwiches, but two fish and five loaves in Jesus' hands will feed a multitude. Nails in my hands may, might produce a birdhouse, but nails in Jesus' hands provide salvation for all mankind. What I'm saying is, it all depends on whose hands it's in. It all depends on whose hands it was in. I remember a number of years ago, I was over here at Brainerd Golf Course. I didn't even thought about it just now. And I remember years ago, I had an old cheap set of golf clubs. Never been a good golfer to start with. But I had an old cheap set of golf club. I'd picked up a club here, picked up a club there from yard sales and whatever like that. And uh, I always said to myself, if I could ever get me a set of pings, I'd be a good golfer. If I could ever have a good set of golf clubs, pings, I believe those are anointed of God. If I could have a set of pings, it would sob my slice. It would eliminate my hook. It would add 200 yards to my...